Welcome to season two of the Let's Talk podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to be a person of faith in a culture against faith. So let's talk about disasters. Okay, that I, I mean, yikes. Um, yeah. Florida. Uh, I don't even know what to say. I, I'm so you know, sorry. We exist in similar worlds. Yeah. They either come to us or they go to you. Or somewhere in between. Uh, occasionally. It's really Houston, South Texas, and or Galveston, Houston, and Florida. They get the really, majority of them. Really this from South Texas up the border up to you guys. Yeah, um, I mean, like I guess this entire it, yeah. like the Gulf. I get yeah, because you had Katrina really. go through there, and then you, Alabama, Mississippi do get their occasional one. But Florida it, and Texas, because they stick out farther into those bodies of water, they catch them. Um, I mean, you know, we're still recovering around here from Hurricane Harvey. There's still some people recovering from Ike. Yeah. Um, so Florida, we are absolutely sorry. And I think Clayton, you know, Clayton comes up with all the content for let's talk now. So he brought this to me. I imagine that Florida's experience right now is part of what sparked this. This this is really where it started is because I was thinking about this idea of all of these people hurting and like. What we do here at Wellhouse, um, like we we do have involvement and we actually do things, but we talk a, a lot. This is mostly what our service is: is we bring awareness, we talk about things, um, and so I was thinking like. Currently, with the state of our church, there's not much that we can go and physically do to help. Right. But we can talk about this situation. We can talk about and, like, possibly give ideas to people who have the ability to actually yeah. go do the things. For sure. Um, For sure. And so, just kind of thinking through the content, like, we finished up our last series, and it, it's... It just felt like a good time to talk about what it could look like or how the church should respond in times like this. Yeah. Um, We've lived through several devastating hurricanes. Multiple. Um, Multiple. And, well, and other types of disasters. And others. Yeah. Right? So we also had almost had our house burnt down by an RV fire. Yeah. Um, Disasters can come in a lot of forms. They They don't only have to come through natural disasters. Those are one type and probably the ones we're going to speak about most, but house fires. I know several people that have had their entire homes burnt down and did not have content insurance. Yeah, and so this is is actually a thing that I do want to talk about Um, because I want to talk about how the church can respond at a community level and on an individual level. And this is an example of the way that the church could and did respond for us at an individual level. Um, So really like if we can just sit here and talk for a second over the last year, I was looking at this today. There have been over 500 
FEMA declared disasters in the U.S. Since when? In the last year, in 22. Oh, year to date. Yeah, today. Up to today, from January 1 to today. Over 500 declared FEMA disasters. From floodings, hurricanes, tropical storms, freezes, wildfires. Yeah, tornadoes. Tornadoes, yeah, lots of those. Over 500. Earthquakes? They cover earthquakes? Uh, Earthquakes were in there. I didn't see any. Okay. But I also didn't look through the list of over 500. Yeah. Um. Well, this is a big deal in the ancient world, too, because we don't struggle with the same kind of disasters in the same way because we've advanced technology. But if you read the biblical story, specifically the ancient Old Testament story, one common thing and one one thing that the Bible actually laments is famine and drought. Yeah. Because it means they don't get food. The crops, yeah. the animals, everything suffers. Um and well, so, yeah, and we Texas just went through a huge drought too. By the way, uh, still and, in it, homeboy. Uh, yeah, still in yeah. it. <laughs> like, I, yeah, fair enough. Still, still, still in it. it. Yeah, um, and that affects all kinds of stuff. Now, it's not FEMA declared disaster, but like the way that the the environment can affect how people live in very drastic ways. Yeah. I mean, Cullen, how many hurricanes did you and I, or have you lived through? Probably about the same as I have, if not exactly. Well, no, because I was born in 93, mm-hmm. and if I remember correctly, Allison happened the year oh, I was born. okay, so, so Allison. Allison. was the first devastating one that I lived in. Obviously, I was like... You don't remember uh, it. Not but. even a year old, but Allison happened in 93, so Allison was the first big one I lived through. The ones that I then remember that we were like severely in danger of and or impacted me in some way. Probably Katrina. Well, there was one a month before that called oh. Rita. Oh, I do remember hit, that. That hit our community significantly harder. Yep. And then we got the tail end of Katrina Correct. again when it was yep. on its way to New Orleans. Yep, yep. And then we had in 2009, we had Hurricane Ike. Mm-hmm. Which was very devastating. Yep. Um, and then Harvey. Harvey would have been the. Uh, I'm struggling to remember any other ones. There was a tropical storm in between uh, Harvey Ike and, and Ike, Harvey, but it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't as bad for us. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously we do live in Houston. We always have flooding. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just like if you live in Houston, flooding you're prepared happens. for flooding. Um, so lots of devastation from the disasters of the world constantly affecting our lives. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that doesn't even include tsunamis, which they're not coming over here. No, no, no. But but, yeah. In Asia. Um, we're, we're talking about just the U because it's too big. Right. If we talk about the disasters that happen all over the world all the time, yeah. we'll be here forever. Yeah, for sure. I'm just talking about the U.S. And right now, I'm just talking about the Southeast U.S. Yeah, facts. I mean, a little bit with the wildfires in, in California, but r- realistically, 
Well, tornadoes are not. They're more north and uh, headed west. They're not. There were uh, several tornadoes in like central Texas and west Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Like, that's true. No, no, I get, yeah. That, that's I guess that's thing. true. I guess, yeah, I guess that's true. They're significantly smaller, but Kansas but in the US, is where you really get the bad ones. But yeah, yeah, but in U.S., over 500 just in 22. We are talking a lot. It's a lot of devastation, friends. A lot of devastation. A lot of people. And how many times in these hurricanes have you met people that were displaced? Oh, 100% of the time. You always meet it. You always, especially in Houston. Houston is a major city. I mean, I still occasionally meet people that are displaced here. I'm like, hey, how'd you get to Houston? They're like, oh, I was displaced from Katrina. I never got to go back. Yep. Yeah, like you still, that stuff still happens. So if this is such a huge problem, what can the church do? Well, let me say, what could the church do? There's a lot of things. Yeah, the institution of the church. Uh, Let me rephrase. American religious institutional giving is a 400 plus billion dollar a year industry. White evangelicalism, specifically the Southern Baptist, making up the lion's share of that. White evangelicalism makes up 80% of the money in that statistic. Unfortunately, about 4% of that money will go to help anyone in a need. Yeah. The church could do a lot. The church doesn't do much. The church could do a lot. The people of the church individually could also do a lot. Now, let me, on that note, sure. let me pride and praise the congreg- or the denomination that we used to be a part of. Um, at the end of the year, Wellhouse will be moving into a new denomination. Uh, if a denomination at all, we are yet to be decided. But the denomination that we are a part of for the remainder of this year and the one that we've been a part of and I've been a part of basically my whole life, um, they have a disaster relief team. Mm-hmm. And it's a bunch of men that have... Texas the, Baptist men. <laughs> yeah, they have... Um, a bunch of men that have the flexibility and availability and knowledge to manage these disaster relief disaster relief teams, and they have these big semi trailers that come in and chainsaws. And, uh, they have partnerships and they bring in waters and uh, you done know, some work with them ourselves. Yeah, like all kinds of love that element of it. It's so fantastic. In that way, the church is like, yeah, thriving when they help in those ways. Absolutely. They also have. Like a rebuild, like a, a construction team that mm. builds buildings and homes and things sure. that helps. So, yeah, there's lots of ways the church can and does. Absolutely. I am critical because there's far too money, too, too much, much money. money available for us to be doing so little in this area. Actual meeting needs. Absolutely. Now, that is all great. The church like at least the denomination that we've we've been a part of does have this thing um when the church does get involved 
in these situations, what is always the the central element? Why why what what is their true motivation of going into these people's homes and doing these things? Colonization? Colonization. Um they won't convert people. Yeah. They won't convert people and tell them to give them more money. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm being overly cynical, but I, I really right, right, am right, being right. overly cynical, but it is that. The, they that, are that going is where in. it comes from. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking shit about the Texas Baptist men right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, no. They I are am going, talking specifically about the idea that when the church gets involved in these ways, there is always a shameless plug at the end. Hey, you should come to church on Sunday. It's true. I was even speaking to a church planter friend of mine that I've known since I was living and operating in those worlds. And he's planning a church right now, and they're doing a lot of really cool things about events and gaining notoriety and all those things. I was quite impressed being a church planter myself at the things he was doing and able to come up with networking-wise. But I kind of shamed him a little bit because at one point, he was like, well, I feel like I got to make a gospel presentation. And I was like, no, no you don't. don't. No, you don't. Mm-mm. Your presence is your gospel presentation. You yes. keep your mouth closed about Jesus unless they ask. That. And I want to do like a large portion of an episode on this. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, there always has to be some some shtick about Jesus, some presentation, some, some track. Oh, I remember. Um... Yeah, anyway, there always has to be some shtick. And it's just quite problematic. Mm-hmm. Like, it, Jesus didn't always have a shtick. Nope. Sometimes he just met the person's need. Sometimes he just drank a bottle of wine with him and said, be blessed. Yeah. Like, it's okay. Um, there's not always a shtick. No, and my point in bringing that up is these people whose homes have been destroyed literally may not have a roof over their head. Yeah. You're telling them to walk into a building. And this is actually a a point that a a friend of mine made to me the other day. And just a really good point. These people may not have a roof over their head and you're asking them to step into a building to have a roof over their heads for two hours and then to step back out into the world and have nothing. And yet, not. And you're going to ask need. them to give you money while they're there. Yep, and then not actually truly meet their need, not be in community and relationship with them. Yeah. So, how does that not lead a person in that area? I can totally see a world where somebody begins to blame God for their situation. In some way, shape, or form, how could God allow this to happen in a very kind of dictating relationship with God that it seems like a lot of people have, and I had from fundamentalism, this this kind of God that just honestly made evil things happen because we were sinful. Yeah, well, that's one way the Bible talks about it. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not the only way. Sure. Um, unfortunately, and I think the reason that like 
that view dominates fundamentalism actually makes plenty of sense about why it dominates. Because Jesus is, like, Jesus is clearly the best part of the Christian story. Absolutely. Well, what's Jesus' favorite book to quote from, Clayton? Isaiah? No. No? Deuteronomy. Oh, fair enough. Jesus always be quoting from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the book that, if you were going to pick one theme for Deuteronomy, the theme is oneness. Hmm. It's like one God, one people of God. It is all about oneness. One unity of God and people together. It's about oneness. That also makes it about uniformity, in a way. If you were going to look at it compared to some of the other law traditions that exist in like Exodus and Leviticus, um, it makes it a lot about uniformity. And one of the ways in which it grounds that uniformity claim is by this premise, that there's one blessing, and that one blessing is that God blesses the obedient and curses the disobedient. Sure. Um, and so because Jesus's favorite book to quote from is Deuteronomy, it naturally makes sense that Deuteronomy would be the law, like it would be the preferred law tradition of fundamentalists Mm -hmm. over Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Um, so yes, it makes sense that that's how it kind of happens and comes to be, but that's certainly not the only way the Bible talks about this problem. No. And what I might point you to is, I, I might remind everybody that the Bible is a story, and it's a story of progress that leads to Jesus. And the story of the Bible, um, I think has some of its best writings in the wisdom tradition, so the wisdom tradition are some unique books in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, um, four books of wisdom literature. Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, they don't paint God that way. Yeah, Proverbs has some moments where it paints God that way. But not every moment, and certainly not the majority. Job certainly doesn't paint God that way at all. Job paints God in a way where um, God's, yeah. Job paints God in a way where it's like, hey, sometimes stuff just happens. And like, we don't know why it happens. But you can't blame God for it. Yeah. Um. So, first and foremost, let me say, the Bible itself has competing views on why does God cause natural disasters to happen. But let me also, anytime I talk about the Old Testament, it's going to be rare that you don't hear me talk about the Talmud. Mm -hmm. For me, the Talmud was, like, so key for understanding the Old Testament. Because it's contemporary Jewish scholars with the Old Testament writing commentaries on those books. Clayton, did you ever read the book called The Circle Maker? Uh, no. Never actually read it all the way through. It's around here somewhere. Oh. I think it's, a, it's right here. Oh. Written by Mark Batterson, a church planner in Washington, D.C. Fantastic book on prayer. Love it. Definitely recommend it. Uh, he is given over to white evangelicalism, which I do hate, but 
I think he has a good heart and is doing it a little bit different. So I give him a pass. But that is a fantastic book on prayer. The reason it's called The Circle Maker is because it comes from a legend recorded in the Talmud, mm. the Midrash. The story is a story of Honi the Circle Maker. And Honi was an old wise sage in the middle of a drought. And he walked out and drew a circle around himself and said, God, I'm not going to leave this circle until you make it rain. And so, Honey prays, and it begins to rain, like a nice little sprinkle. And Honey's not satisfied. Honey's like, God, you got to be kidding me. I prayed for rain, bro. You better make it rain, homeboy. So, as the story goes, big, violent, thrashing water begins to fall down and people begin to run into buildings and things because it's so violent rain. And then Honey has this great line. Honey prays for rain and he says, God, for not such rain have I prayed, but the rain that will remind your people of your grace and will fill cisterns. And this beautiful, calm, peaceful, steady rain begins to go over the city. Notice, Honey didn't blame God for the drought, but Honey praised God for the solution. The tradition has viewed this in a lot of different ways. It's only modern people that have decided that it's absolutely God's fault that bad things happen to good people. The ancient world wrestled with these questions in a lot of different ways. You know why? Because they weren't quite so damn privileged, if I can be honest. They had to deal with yearly famines. They had to deal with drought. They had to grow their own crops. They didn't have the luxury of just going to the store and buying all their stuff or looking up what they want to buy from three countries or states over on their iPhone. The world didn't work that way. So you can't really have the privilege of just dismissing God at the expense of, oh, well, God caused a natural disaster. It's not how the ancient world worked. They were dependent on an enchanted worldview. And so there was no one right way to deal with this. And this is why the Bible doesn't have one right way to deal with it. Because these are very real people with very real emotions and very yeah. real pain and very real hurt from these disasters and things. So no, there's not one way to do it. Um, I don't think you should blame God. I absolutely know that I do. Um, yeah, anytime anything bad or storm happens in my life, there's a season where I blame God for it. Sure, naturally. And then I heal and I move on. And I don't blame God anymore for it. But I still am reminded that I think God should have been able to do something different. And I don't really have a great answer to why they didn't. No. But I thank God for the solution and I don't blame it, them for the disaster. But if we take a look at what we talked about yesterday on a closer look, Paul's shipwreck. Something as simple as sitting down and having a meal together and literally in the middle of the 14th day of a storm. Where you're sitting in your own shit. When you're sitting in your own shit, having community. That is what the church can do for people in times of disaster. Be community.
Thanks for listening to the Let's Talk podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.